Welcome to the Principles of Faith with Scott Gray. In this teaching series, Scott explores the biblical truth, the Word became flesh. Amen. 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 Well, this has been stirring for a while, and I think some several things that I've heard over the past few weeks probably contributed to this solidifying, but we're going to... We're going to um, to start a message today, and, and, and it's going to carry into next week. Um, I don't know that it'll go beyond that, but the Word became flesh. And so, I, I've always said that the first chapter of John is my favorite Christmas version of the Christmas story. Okay, well, I didn't lie. That's still the truth. <laughs> But I'm also going to tell you that the first chapter of John is my favorite Easter story. <laughs> and so we're going to explore why that's true today. And we're going to, to look at it from the angle of Jesus' triumphal entry. Because that's what we're celebrating historically today, right? It's Palm Sunday, right? Again, we said earlier, if you were here five minutes ago, about that's why we have all these palms. We're celebrating Palm Sunday and you probably know the story. We're going to look at it in a little detail just to remind you of it and celebrate it. But how, how they cut down palms and took off their, their outer garment or their cloak or whatever and threw it down in front of Jesus on the ground for him to, to come into Jerusalem on. And it was a glorious day. It was an exciting day. It was a day to celebrate. And so, you know, if... if if, if we had flags and banners and all that, we would use them today because it's a day to celebrate Jesus. And that's what was going on that day, is they were celebrating Jesus. Some of them didn't even know why. But they were celebrating Jesus. They were excited that He was coming into the, the city. And there was great expectation because of what they had seen and heard Him do and what He had ministered and raising people from the dead, healing the sick. Speaking peace and forgiveness and deliverance over people. Many people had followed him for several years or for short periods of time or leading up to this time. They had been following him and, and he made his way to Jerusalem. And, and this was the capital city. It was not only the capital city, it was the headquarters of, of their faith. And so they knew something great was about to happen. The problem was is they had no understanding what it was going to be. <laughs> And, and in the course of all that was ha- going to happen in the, co- in the week that followed, they turned away from him and they rejected him. But it was kind of a precursor, though, of what we know will be his ultimate, his second coming. But also, it's a precursor for us individually. And so, that's what we're going to kind of look at today, is the Word became flesh. So, if there was a subtitle to this, it would be, has the Word become flesh in you? And I don't mean that just as a one-time, your initial born-again experience. But I mean on an ongoing basis, is the Word becoming alive? Is it, taking, is it coming up in you and coming, becoming revelation to the point that it's coming into from that spiritual realm, from the other reality into this reality, this fleshly reality, this earthly natural realm. And if that 
transformation, if that transfer is not happening, then it's a time to challenge ourselves about the Word becoming flesh. So I'm giving too much of it away. So we're going to read some of these verses, but the, the text of this is verse 14 in John chapter 1, and it says, And the Word became, this is capital word, right? This is talking about a, a specific, um, in this case, person, but, but it's, it's, a, it's capitalized because it's specific. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so that is, and we've said in the past, it's the Christmas story in a nutshell, but it's also the Easter story in a nutshell. Because the Word became flesh back on Christmas, but He grew up and became a full-grown man in the flesh, right? And then, and then when that occurred and He began His ministry, we saw His glory, right? We saw Him as the only begotten Son of the Father. Full of grace. What is grace? The unmerited favor of God. The effectual power of God. So we saw Him full of that. And truth. Right? Didn't He say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life? Everything that is real, everything that is foundational centers itself in Jesus Christ, right? And so, we could look at this verse and we could see the whole message of Easter, of the gospel, of Jesus coming to die for our sins and to pay the price for us and to bring grace and truth into the world. So, we've defined it, but when we said just now, who, who is the Word? But this, this chapter also specifically tells us, if we had any doubt, who the Word is that it's referring to here. So look back up in the first three verses. It says, In the beginning was the Word. So how far back does Jesus go? At least to the beginning. <laughs> we know there. I would say we know that it is before that. But in the beginning, He was there, right? In the beginning was, I guess we could know for sure He existed before the beginning because it says was. It didn't say in the beginning became or is. It says in the beginning was the Word, right? And then it goes on if we had any doubt. And the Word was, which is what tense? Past tense. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. So God in His Word, God and His Son, and I'm getting ahead, I guess, are inseparable, right? Amen. Been together forever. He, verse 2, now we know it's talking about a specific person, if you didn't know already. Verse 2 starts out, He, He who, He the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And then we know, if you read on over, I believe it's in Colossians chapter 1, you talk about, it talks about over there that, that because of G Jesus, all this was created. It was, it was for His, for his it was for Him. And so, 
not only was He with God, that things were created through Him, the Father did not create apart from Jesus. They were together. But through Him, and, and, and not apart from Him, was everything made that was made. He was there. Amen? Aren't we glad that we have a Savior that is an eternal part of the Godhead that always was, always is, and always will be? That is a great fact. If you, if you think about that very long, that would get you excited to know who is this Jesus. And then, if you, if you think about this, it says that He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through Him and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. It harkens back to what we've studied in Genesis chapter 1 verse, and verse 26 in that chapter where it says, Let us make man... Let us, right? It wasn't just the Father. Let us, who was the us there? The Trinity. So the Word, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Or we could say the Word of Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, right? Let us make man in our image and in our likeness, right? So if you look at that word image, it's defined as resemblance. Resemblance. So if you ever wonder what God looks like, go look in the mirror. (laughs) And Jesus said what? If you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. So I just believe now that you could take that a lot of different ways and a lot of people try to spiritualize that and say, well, that doesn't mean that we're any kind of being in our looks or anything like God. That means spiritual, we resemble Him. And I believe there's a truth in that, but I don't believe it discounts the physical. I believe God looks like us. Or the more proper way to say it is, I believe we were designed and sculpted to look like Him. Right? Right? Now, I don't know if He's... Short, fat, tall, skinny, whatever. I believe he's all of that, right? (laughs) Healthy. But I think in general, we were designed to look like him. Now, I'm not trying to get off on that as a tangent, but that's what the word means. And then the word likeness means model or shape or fashion, manner, similitude. So we we are made not only like God in every way, in every, as far as the model, the prototype, but but we're but we're like him similar similitude our similarities are god and jesus now that's a lot right there we could stop right there and that's enough to, for your mind to take in but we're not stopping yet okay but if you go on in this john chapter 1 to verse 4 there's something even greater here. And this is, this is going to ultimately tie us into resurrection next week. But it says, in Him, in who? The Word. the Word. In who? Jesus. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Amen. And so, now that one, if you really think about it, and think about it in light of, there's this verse in Proverbs twenty twenty seven that says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Your spirit, man, is the candle. 
Now, before Jesus came into your heart, your candle was unlit. It had a new wick that was not burning. And, and it was dead, right? Right. What, how, how much light does an unlit candle put off? How much? Zero, right? Can you take, but, but it's a candle, right? A candle, can, a candle into a room can make a difference, even if it's a totally dark room, right? But how much light, even a little bit of light, right, can dispel a great deal of darkness? But how much light can an unlit candle dispel? Zero, right? It'll still be totally dark in there. But this word candle can be translated, it it means if you use it as a verb, like to glisten, you know, we know how a candle glistens and and the light waves and all this stuff. But, But if you look at it as a noun, it means lamp or light. So we could look at this verse, if you just take that other interpretation of the definition of candle, and you look at this verse compared to John 1, 4, and you could say, the spirit of man is the light of the Lord. Or in other words, that light that is talking about in John chapter 4 is lit in your spirit man. That's where, that's the candle. And so, go back now and think about this. Well, I'm, not, I, I, I'm, going, to get, I'm going to get ahead if I do that. I can't do that. But, but keep that thought in mind, because we're going to come back to it. <laughs> that your spirit is the candle, and who is the light that lights it? Jesus. Jesus. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Amen? So, keep that thought in mind. So, who was the Word? Well, we know... He was the light. We know He was there in the beginning. We know He was the Creator. We know it was created through Him. So let's see in this same chapter, what does John the Baptist say about who He is? Look down in verse 6. It says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, capital L, so that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So this is who John was. And then we're going we're to see then what he's going to say about Jesus. Look in verse 15. It says, John testified about him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Now that sounds... Nice and sounds complimentary, right? But if you take that and pull it apart and look at it technically, who was born first? John the Baptist or Jesus? Jesus. No. John the Baptist. He was a couple of months ahead of Jesus, right? Because remember Zacharias in the temple and and, and the angel came and said Elizabeth, his wife, is going to bear a son in her old age. He didn't believe it. And so the angel struck him dumb so he wouldn't undo the faith that God had lined up for this and the faith that he'd been believing all these years to have a child, him and Elizabeth, and then they had the child and she was further along when Mary went to visit her right after Mary became um, pregnant with Jesus, right? 
Six months, okay? So who was born first? John the Baptist, okay? Is John the Baptist telling the truth here? Is he telling a lie? For he existed before me. On earth, John the Baptist was here first. But who existed before who? Jesus. So when John is talking about the physical, natural Jesus, who he was a distant cousin of, right? And who he baptized, and we're going to see in a minute the details on that. When he was talking about this literal man, Jesus, but he said he existed before me, even though he was born six months later, what is he telling us about Jesus? This literal man, Jesus. That he is this one who's called the Word that we're talking about, that was before, that existed before, that was, past tense, in the beginning, that all was created through him, by him, for him, and that his life was the light of men. Okay? I just want you to get that. John the Baptist had a revelation of who Jesus was. Then look at verse 26. And, and they were asking John the Baptist, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Levites. They were all asking him, was he the prophet? Was he the Messiah? Who was he? All this. Verse 26. John answered them saying, I baptize you in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me and the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus come to him and he said, Behold, who? The Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Did John have a revelation of who Jesus was? He did. This is he on behalf of whom I said. Now we, we see if he didn't just say, we didn't just read this. After me comes a man who is higher rank than I, for he existed before me. That's a quote of verse uh, 15 that we just read. He had said it before and now he's reminding them he said this about Jesus. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is who? The Son of God. Did John the Baptist know who the Word was? He sure did. He had a revelation, didn't he? And he proclaimed it. He announced it. And yet, he announced it publicly, but then people kept wondering, well, who, who's the Messiah? And then Jesus, well, could it be Jesus? Are you the Messiah? Well, John just told them, right? But they didn't believe. All right, so let's go back to verse 14, our text verse again. And it says in the second part of that verse, and we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, the Word became flesh and we saw His glory. And so, let's look at these stories of the, of the triumphal entry. Because this was a time where people actually, I believe, were 
we're actually seeing or having a revelation of Jesus' glory and we're celebrating it, but they didn't believe or didn't truly understand who He was, right? They didn't have this revelation that John the Baptist had. They had not invited Him into their heart. They had not had a revelation from God, but I believe they saw the glory of God on Him, right? Because they had been following Him. They were excited about the miracles. They were excited about His ministry. And they were, they were, like I said before, they were excited that here He was coming. It was all culminating. He was coming to the capital. He was coming to, to the, the headquarters of the church. And something great was about to happen. They didn't understand it, but something was. They, but they could sense that glory. And so this, this Palm Sunday story in Luke 19... Starting in verse 28, Luke 19, 28. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, now these are the technical details, but it's important to remember this because it's important to know that Jesus knew this was about to happen and he knew the details by revelation from God whether you want to call it a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or whatever it was, he operated in the gifts of the Spirit and he knew exactly what was supposed to happen and what was going on with other people at the same time on the other side of the story to make this happen. And so he said to, um, sent two of his disciples and he said, go into the village ahead of you. Now this was probably Bethany or, or Bethpage, what is what it was talking about in the village was. Go into the village ahead of you There as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. Did Jesus know what was going on in the village? Did Jesus know what was prophesied about him? Yes, because this is a prophecy that the Messiah would come riding in on the fold of a donkey. Okay? And so he knew the, the, he knew the prophecy and he knew he was going to fulfill it and he knew what was going on in the natural and the circumstances around them in the village that they were approaching. Verse 32, So those who were sent away, sent, went away, and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Now, were they prepared for this? <laughs> yep, because Jesus told them that's exactly what would be asked. And they said, they said what? What Jesus told them to say, right? Do you know, let's just pause there for, do you know it's very important to say what Jesus told you to say? <laughs> when the devil comes and says, oh, you ain't nothing but this, that, and the other, and you'll never succeed, and you'll never be healed, and you'll never be delivered, What's it important? And the devil will say, so what are you going to do about it? What's it important to say? What Jesus told you to say. And nothing else. And nothing less. Right? What did Jesus tell them to say? The Lord has need of it. And you say, well, that doesn't explain everything. But do you know what? If God knows the answer, that's the answer we need to stick with. We don't need to embellish it. We don't need to come up with answers on our own. We don't need to help him out because he knows the right answer, right? See, I didn't plan to stop here and talk about this, but this is an important point. 
is say what Jesus says to say. Say no more, say no less. And you will, you will, you will be successful. Amen? And so they said what he said to say, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And so the assumption there is nobody objected then, right? Because they said that and then they just brought the colt. And so they brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. And so this was, this was how the story came about. This, this is the, the logistics of how this Palm Sunday started happening, right? Okay, so we go over in John chapter 12, and John has a version of it too. He doesn't tell the, the part about the village and, the, and, and getting the permission to take the donkey, um, but he does tell the story. And so in verse 12, in John 12, it says, On the next day the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, What were they saying? Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You think they saw his glory? You think there was something about him that was attracting and getting them excited to say Hosanna? Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even who? The King of Israel. Now this was prophesied. And Jesus, finding the young donkey, sat on it, and as it is written, the prophecy goes, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, that they, and that they had done, and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead. See, all these people that saw these things continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone out after him. And so this was the, this was the setting of Palm Sunday. It was almost like the whole world was coming to Jerusalem, at least their, their world, their realm, and everybody was going out to see this prophet Jesus that everybody was excited about, who had just raised a man from the dead just not too long before this, and all these other great miracles, and feeding the 5,000, and casting out demons, and, and common storms, and all these things. And so people were excited. Wow, what's he going to do in, in the city? Boy, if he's done all that all this time, what's he going to do here? And so they were excited to see him. And the glory of Jesus that just shone round about him was attracting people. And they were excited. And they were putting their coats in the road. And they were cutting off these things and waving them before him. And so there was great excitement. Great anticipation. Don't know that there was much revelation, but there was great anticipation, right? Of what was going to happen. And so the Pharisees were like, well, we've blown it now. The whole, the whole city's going out after him. And they were trying to contain this thing and trying to downplay who Jesus was because they didn't want to receive him. They didn't, they didn't receive his words. They didn't receive him. And they were trying to be the wet blanket on it. But they thought, well... 
you know, with all this going on, how, how's that going to happen now? Well, we've lost out. And so, if you look back in Luke 19, they even said to Jesus in um, verse 39 and 40, they said, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Did Jesus know who he was? He did, right? And he knew this was prophesied. He knew it was supposed to happen. That he was to come into the city. That there was to be great excitement. The glory of his life was evident. Of the power of God on him. But yet he also knew what was going to happen. And he knew that this anticipation was not going to be turned into receiving him. It was going to be turned into rejecting him. And that he was going to die and be persecuted and die on the cross for our sins. Right? And provide this purpose that he came for, which is our salvation. And so he didn't rebuke the disciples. Instead, he knew this was to happen. And so then we look on in verse 23... Back in John chapter 12, verse 23 through 26. And Jesus answering them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What is he talking about here? He's talking about himself, right? He's prophesying what's going to happen to him, but it's going to bear much fruit. Verse 25, He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is a great promise that Jesus was saying here. A great instruction that we follow his example. And so look down in verse 31 and 32. It says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Again, what is he prophesying about here? What's he talking about if he be lifted up? He's talking about the cross, right? If he be lifted up on a cross, he's not talking about just being glorified like on Palm Sunday in the triumphal entry. He's not talking about being worshipped. He's talking about being lifted up on a tree, right? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Now we look back through history and you look at your own history, those of you who are here, and I believe everybody here is born again. You look at your own history. Were you drawn to Jesus? Who drew you? He did, right? And he, and he partnered with the Holy Spirit to work on your heart and draw you to Him. Now, we had a part to play in it. We had to receive and we had to speak out of our mouth. But, but you didn't go after God. God went after you, right? Think about that for a minute. God pursued you. You didn't even know enough about God to pursue God. You might have heard of Him. You might have grew up in church. Maybe you didn't. But even if you did, 
you were born into sin. Your sin nature does, was not natural to pursue God. But when God pursued you, your created being, your unlit candle, <laughs> was susceptible to being lit by that, that light, that life that lit it, right? And all you had to do is receive. And so He drew you unto Him. Just like you get a bigger flame next to an unlit wick. And if that big flame's big enough, it'll just catch that little wick on fire, right? He drew you. Aren't you glad that He drew you? Now, so many people resist and reject Him, but it says He drew you. And what does it say? Another good thing He said in these verses is, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who do you think He's talking about there? Satan. The ruler of this world. Since the day of the, of the eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he was the ruler of this world because Adam and Eve gave, gave, them, gave him their authority, right? They were the rulers of this world in, in creation. But they gave that authority over to the devil. And he ruled from that point until this point. And he was the ruler of this world. But what did Jesus say was getting ready to happen? He's going to be cast out as the ruler. So who is going to become the ruler again? Who's getting the authority? Well, he is, right? But he as a man, as the son of man, is getting that authority back. There's a lot to celebrate on Easter, right? But what we're celebrating is because the Word became flesh. Because he became flesh, he came to take the rulership back from the devil. He came to draw all men back to him. To draw them back to the light. And so, wow, what an awesome, awesome thing that we're celebrating on Resurrection Day. And look at verse 34. Starting at verse 34. It says, And the crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer, who does he say? The light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. Why is Jesus talking here about the light? Well, if you go back to if you go back to to John chapter 1 where he where he calls himself the light. It says in in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the capital light. Of men. And he says, while you have the light, walk in the light. Walk in the revelation of Jesus. And when, and when the light's gone, because it's only going to be here for a little while, don't walk in darkness. Remember the light so that you can become sons of light. Right? And so you look back at this. And I think, I don't know, I don't know if I've ever really heard anybody teach this before. But I think, I think 
we can often overlook this fact that we know Jesus is the Word, we know He's the Son of Man, we know He's the Son of God, we know He was the Messiah, we know He was the Lamb of God. All these things we've read or just heard today in these passages, but don't overlook that He's the light. Why is that important? Because John chapter 1 verse 4 says, and this was from the beginning when men were created, in Him was life and the life was the light of men. So if Adam and Eve were created and the life that was in them came from Jesus, we know the Father breathed it into them, right? Because we read that in Genesis. But if that life, it says here, was Jesus and Him being breathed into them created, turned them on, right? It flipped their switch. (laughs) They became, it says, a living soul, right? Isn't that what Genesis says? You ever thought about it? So the light came on. Their candle became, if you go by that verse in Proverbs, their candle was lit when God breathed into them the Jesus life. Now we know when they sinned, the light of their spirit went out, right? Because God said, you'll surely die. Did he tell them the truth? Did they die spiritually? They died. So, think about this with me. I really wanted to save this for next week, but I can't leave the cliffhanger with you that long. So, so think about that. So, if Jesus was the light and sin blew it out, then for them to get back in the place that they were created to be with God, for this plan of salvation, God, to, have, to get us back to what we were created to be, what had to come back in and light our candle? Jesus. Could anybody else have been the one to save us? No, because we were created to contain life, a specific life, not just any old life like a dog or a cat or a cow. We were created to contain life And that life was to be our light. And who was that life? Jesus. Adam and Eve had Jesus in them from the beginning. But when they sinned, they blew it out. Jesus said, I am the light. Walk in the light so that you can become sons of light. See, We know that it says here he was the only begotten of the Father. But then if you read on in the New Testament after the resurrection, how many begotten sons of the Father are there? Paul talks about we're all the begotten sons of the Father. That he's then the first begotten. Right? Not the only begotten like he was here in John. But after he was resurrected and gave us the opportunity to get relit, we're also the sons of God. Right? We became begotten. Our wick got lit. And, and the light came back in. Or the light came in us. Like we were created to be like Adam. Like the first Adam. It had to be Jesus. This had to be the plan of salvation. But what we celebrate on Easter is the light came back into the earth. The light not only came back into the earth. The light became available to become lit on the inside of us. 
so that we could become sons of light. I don't know of another verse that says that, that we are supposed to become the sons of light. There might be, so maybe we'll find them before next week. But we're to be the sons of light. That doesn't just mean, you know, emanating the glory of God. It means we're to have the life of Jesus on the inside of us. How can you get that without receiving Him? But yet He came, it says, well, let's look back. We got, we got to go back. We got to... Gosh, I wanted to save this for next week. But look in, in verse 9 of John chapter 1. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens who? Every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. And if you look at how that's translated, his own, it means his own possessions, his own creation. He came to his own creation meaning us, the human race, and those who were His own did not receive Him. And so this is, I am going to stop there. We'll, we'll, but, but this is the story of what happened the week of Palm Sunday. They were all excited, but it was just excitement. <laughs> they didn't have any revelation. And they laid down, and He got the glory He was prophesied to receive. And because of His glory, they, they, they shouted Hosanna, and they were all excited. And they laid down their coats, and they waved the palm branches, and they did all this. And boy, it was a big stir, right? The whole city was stirred up. But then what happened that week? <laughs> he ministered in the temple. He did all these things. But he got the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the scribes and all mad at him. And, and they had a plan, and the devil, along with, to kill him. And they crucified him on a cross. His own creation did not recognize him. His own creation did not receive him as the light. Right? He was a light in the darkness. But instead, darkness reigned. But aren't you glad there's more to the story? Aren't you glad that's not the end of the story? And we're going to celebrate next Sunday morning <laughs> at 7.30 <laughs> what really happened with the rest of the story. Right? He didn't stay crucified, did he? He didn't stay dead. He resurrected. Why? Because he is life. And in him, in this life, is the light of men. And he came for a purpose, and his purpose wasn't fulfilled until that light was made available to every man. That you could be relit or lit. You were created to have light, you weren't created to be in darkness, right? You were created to be in the light. And if you've experienced both, or you've experienced a dramatic difference in your life between darkness and light, you know, right, that it's because Jesus came in. And your life became, it's like it was all new, right? Because you were no longer in darkness. You had a light, you had the light inside you. Thing you could see more clearly, right? How many of you saw more clearly after you were born again? You understood, right? And, and, and even more so, I think when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, this is just Scottology, but I believe somebody takes that, that lamp and turns the knob and, and, the, and, the, and the flame gets bigger, right? And things get even brighter and newer and more exciting. I remember when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, the grass was greener, the sky was bluer, the sounds were stronger, and I was so much more excited, Right? I had the light, but it got, the flame got turned up. And so, anyway, what we celebrate is the, the Word became flesh. 
And we're so glad the Word became flesh because the light went out in mankind. But Jesus, who was the source of that light, the only source, had to come back in the earth for light to come back and man to be back to where he was created to be with his light burning, with the light of the life of God in him. Aren't you glad that the Word became flesh? Now we could take this further and talk about, again, like I mentioned at the beginning, the Word becoming flesh in us. Keeping the flame going, having the results of that light. You know, light's for a purpose too, right? It's to, it's to dispel the darkness. So the Word is supposed to dispel the darkness. Wherever we go, we're supposed to be carriers of the light and the darkness to be dispelled, the darkness to be rebuked, the enemy to be put on the run, right? And for the things of God that He wants to reveal to us, when, when you're missing something, when something that be belongs to you, you don't have it or you've misplaced it or you've lost it, what do you do when you go through the house looking for it? Especially if it's at night. You turn on the lights, right? And you go looking where the, where the light shines. Where is it? Where is it? It belongs to you. It's yours. Like the woman with the lost coin. She, she cleaned out everything. She got where she uncovered the darkness on everything until she found the coin, right? It's the light that gets you what God has designed for you to have, what God has provided for you. You have to shine the light on it, right? You have to shine the Word on it. And when you shine the Word on it, you get revelation, you get wisdom, you get understanding. But the Word has become flesh, and it dwells among us. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad He wasn't just staying as a baby when He became flesh at Christmas, but that the Word grew up and became flesh, and He was the, he was the, the light of the world. And so light has come back into the world. Light has come into us because Jesus came back. He was the only one that could do it. He was the only one. He was the only life that had this light. And so that's what we celebrate. And that's what we're rejoicing about and celebrating today. The same as they were on that Palm Sunday. As we, you know, if we cut these things off, we, ought, we would wave them because we're excited that Jesus is the light of the world. And that He came, he came to the earth to die and to give us this great salvation package that we have that provides us everything that we will ever need and everything that we could ever want or imagine or dream to be. It's because that He came back and made a way for us. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank You today for Your Word. We thank You, Jesus. You are the Word. We thank You. You are the light. We thank You that we are sons of light because we've asked you to come into our life and bring your life into us. And Lord, I pray for anyone who may hear or be watching this message that if they don't know you, if they don't have this life, if they don't have the light shining in their darkness, that they'd ask Jesus into their life. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I recognize who you are. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life and be the light in my life. You are my Lord, and I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Jesus, that I am saved, I am born again, I have my candle lit in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you for joining us today. This message is brought to you by Hope Church. If you would like more information about Hope Church or to listen to more, please go to www.hopechurchnc.org. That's www.hopechurchnc.org.